spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Kira Revan, and this, this is the Sunday 7. In this week's episode, we get up to speed on the climate crisis. Well, Guy appears inside Elon Musk's brain, and we learn what children need to grow tall, and we explore some more mysteries of the sea. Oh, and the Sunday 7 has been nominated for a prestigious international award. We've been selected in the Best Conversation Starter category for the Signal Awards. We'd love if you could please vote for us. Just go to thesmart7.com. Thank you. Meanwhile, on this day in 1870, French chemist, engineer and inventor Georges Cloud was born. He was the inventor of the neon light, first applying an electrical charge to neon in 1902 and then creating the first public display in Paris in 1910. He's also known as the patron saint of strip clubs. The UN General Assembly took place in New York this week and the intention was to focus on the Global South and the risks from climate change. Secretary General Antonio Guterres opened the Climate Ambition Summit with a dramatic moment. Our focus here is on climate solutions and our task is urgent. Humanity has opened the gates of hell. He's become an increasingly vocal advocate for more significant action to counter the ongoing risks from a planet that is clearly accelerating towards a potential disaster. The summit was undermined by the absence of two of the biggest polluters, the US and China. And the fact that France, India and Britain also failed to attend didn't help to calm things down either. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak chose instead to announce a relaxation of the UK's plan to reach net zero, rolling back initiatives like the banning of petrol and diesel cars by 2035. His timing couldn't have been worse and he faced a widespread backlash including from former US Vice President Al Gore. The fossil fuel companies fight tooth and nail against anything that would reduce the burning of oil and they're much better at capturing politicians than they are at capturing emissions and you can sometimes tell when they've captured one. Writer and director Richard Curtis was adding his voice to the mix too as he called for more positive action from leaders and pushed for Britain to become a leader in the battle to shift thinking on climate. No country is an island and it's absolutely important that Britain, which has always been the greatest country in terms of the foundation of organisations like, say, the children of Oxfam, in all the leadership that they've showed in, you know, Live Aid, Live Aid, all of those things, that Britain should, as it were, reclaim its natural position as one of the people who try and change the world for the better. The scientists continue to issue warnings that the window we have to make changes is diminishing and there was more bad news this week as ice levels in the Antarctic reached record lows. The sea ice surface now measures just 17 million square kilometres. That's 10% less than normal and the lowest level ever recorded. Climate scientist Dr Ed Doddridge says the ongoing marine heatwave is partly to blame. This new report is the first time we've been able to definitively link ocean warming with sea ice changes. As sea ice freezes in winter and melts in summer, it pumps vital nutrients into the ocean. It's like a heartbeat for the ocean. But what we've seen lately is a marked change in that cycle. 
The ice plays a crucial role in balancing out temperatures and Dr Ella Gilbert from the British Antarctic Survey explains why this is so important. Sea ice is super important because it acts like a mirror reflecting incoming solar energy and that keeps the Antarctic climate but also the whole globe's climate relatively cool. It also impacts ocean currents and weather patterns. So if we lose sea ice that can have really significant local, regional and global consequences. The ocean seems to be playing an increasingly important part in our understanding of how the planet's climate works. We've seen the deadly impact of the current marine heatwave from melting ice to dying coral and the arrival of weather patterns like El Nino can have huge effects on hurricane and storm formation. There have also been some other oddities spotted in the oceans this week, firstly in California where bioluminescent plankton has been creating a pretty dramatic light show. Jessica Rome is a tour guide with Davies Locker Whale Watching Company. When the waves are crashing, that's agitating the plankton. When our boats are moving through it, that's agitating them. When the dolphin and fish are swimming through it, that's creating an agitation, so it'll stir the plankton up and create that beautiful blue glow. Years ago, it would maybe happen once every five, ten years, and now it's happening, you know, a couple times a year in spurts. So really, why this is happening so often may be due to climate change. In slightly less cheerful ocean news, a patch of ocean off the eastern coast of Thailand has become so overwhelmed with plankton that it's now known as a dead zone. The water has turned bright green and it's pretty dense and slimy to the touch, with native marine life killed off by the sheer volume of plankton. Marine scientist from Casa Start University, Tanuspong Pakovanich, explains why the plankton overload is so deadly. The plankton in the water eats up all the nutrients or dies due to a lack of light. Their carcasses then sink to the seabed and are decomposed by bacteria. The decomposition then depletes oxygen in the water. This, known as the process of eutrophication, is occurring and causing a vast number of fish to die. So to come in the Sunday 7, why love makes you grow and how AI could help with major diseases. Sometimes science can seem a little on the nose, so when a new study says children need love to grow, it seems like a self-evident truth. But the study is a lot more literal than that. It shows that it's not just genes, diet or exercise that determine how tall children might grow. The amount of toxic emotional stress they suffer can block hormones needed for physical growth and height. Before we get too concerned about our short kings like Rishi or Zelensky, let's dive in a little further to the study. Professor Barry Boggan is a biological anthropologist at the University of Lockborough and he's spent the best part of five decades studying how humans grow. He points out that Guatemala, which is one of the most troubled nations on Earth, has an average height of only 163 centimetres for men and 149 centimetres for women. That's about 5 foot 4 and 5 foot for women. However, in the Netherlands, the averages are 6 foot for men and 5 foot 6 for women. A significant difference. Professor Boggan says environment and emotion makes a real impact. All human beings need a safe, secure environment in which to physically grow and develop. Of course, people need food and health care and good education. But on top of those fundamentally important things, we also need the love of our society. And by love, I mean the security that a good society provides. Back in the 70s, there was a civil war going on. And it resulted in more than a million Guatemalas fleeing the country, going to Mexico, and some to the United States. 
In the early 90s, I measured Guatemalans in the United States. I found they were significantly taller. And this was taller than their own brothers and sisters who had been born in Guatemala. We've all used Google as a sort of doctor over the years, typing in our symptoms and nervously clicking search to see what the hive mind thinks we might have. But it turns out Google and their AI firm DeepMind have been working in a much more serious way on identifying changes in human DNA that could help to identify diseases. They've built a model which can look at what impact changes in DNA can have. It's called Alpha MissSense and has modelled 71 million different variations. The idea is to help get to the root cause of diseases quickly and Google's DeepMind isn't the only company using AI in this space. Alex Havarankov is the founder of Insilico Medicine, an AI company developing models that targets age-related diseases. We just published a really fun transformer model called Precious One GPT, which uh, learns on uh, the basic biology from uh, methylation and transcriptomic data uh, and then uh, transfers the weights uh, onto the model which is trained on different diseases. Uh, to identify targets that can be prioritized for age-associated diseases. But how useful will this AI work actually be? Mustafa Suleiman is the co-founder of DeepMind and he's very excited about the potential of the technology. In the next five years, the frontier model companies, those of us at the very cutting edge who are training the very largest AI models, are going to train models that are over a thousand times larger than what you currently see today in GPT-4. Instead of just generate new text in a one shot, the model will be able to generate a sequence of actions over time. AIs that can't just say things, they can also do things. It will be able to make phone calls to other humans to negotiate. It will be able to call other AIs in order to establish the right sequence in a supply chain, for example. These capabilities don't just naturally emerge from the models. We attempt to engineer capabilities. And the challenge for us is to be very deliberate and precise and careful about those capabilities that we want to emerge from the model. The governance challenge for us over the next couple of decades to ensure that we contain this wave is to ensure that we always get to impose our constraints on the trajectory of this development. Still to come on the Sunday 7, Will Guy has a peek into Elon Musk's brain and the UK's biggest lake is in trouble. Right after this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back. Of all the billionaires in the world, Elon Musk seems the most intent on becoming some kind of supervillain. Whether it's tweeting support for Russell Brand, giving Tucker Carlson a platform or unleashing the hellhounds from the Twitter kennels, he's not exactly the model for a sensitive, caring overlord. Between Tesla, X, SpaceX and now Neuralink, he's also got his fingers in lots of really interesting pies. So we asked the Smart 7's tech guru, Will Guyot, and well, pretty much our Elon Musk correspondent, to take a dive into what Elon is up to now. So Will... 
What is Neuralink? Well, this is a really interesting story now because Elon, this is another Elon Musk uh, venture. And um, Elon Musk has been suggesting that Neuralink is eventually going to be uh, almost like a USB into your head. Um, the idea that you could have a hard drive or essentially download memories from your brain. Now, that's the Elon Musk version of this, the most bombastic version of it. But they're actually going to start medical trials on this thing soon. And it actually sounds very interesting. Isn't this the thing that killed a bunch of terminally ill monkeys? This is exactly the device that Elon Musk suggested killed a, a, a terminally ill bunch of monkeys. But that is the world of Elon Musk. And that was the early test. And that doesn't excuse the fact that animals, this has been tested on animals. What they're now looking for, though, is willing human subjects that might want to give this a go. Because despite the bombasticness of Elon Musk's suggestions that we're all going to have a USB connection to our brain, um, there is some thought from medical science that this kind of interface could actually help people who are paralyzed, have had a stroke, have had other brain injuries. And that's why these tests, which are being approved by uh, the, uh, the, the FDA in the USA, um, are the first steps to seeing whether or not this is, uh, you know, wishful thinking from Elon Musk and his team or if there's something in this. Why would anyone trust Elon Musk with their brain? Well, I don't necessarily think anybody would trust Elon Musk. But if you look at SpaceX's rocket business, which he's obviously not leading all the development of those rockets, they're doing incredibly well. And I think Neuralink is a similar company. So the idea is that this is basically an interface, like a computer chip interface with the brain. And uh, they've finally got permission to do human trials, which would probably make most people nervous. But this is going to be a six-year-long study. So this isn't going to be like Elon Musk saying this is going to be on sale this time next year. Uh, they're going to do a six-year-long study, and they're looking for people with uh, quadriplegia. So that means people who cannot move their arms or their legs. And the suggestion is this piece of technology is going to enable them to control a mouse cursor or just be able to think a letter and it will, it will it will appear on a keyboard or on a screen that's what this first test apparently is going to show oh and are we going to have to pay for twitter or x or whatever it's called this week i really hope we don't and if we do have to pay for twitter or x or whatever the hell it's called this week i won't be there it just feels all kinds of wrong that he's now suggesting we're all going to have to pay to keep bots off of the platform Loch Ness in Northern Ireland is the largest body of fresh water in the British Isles. The lake, which covers 151 square miles, provides 40% of Northern Ireland's drinking water, but it's struggling with a serious algae problem. Now, locals are organising protests amid concerns that pollution is causing the blue-green algae bloom on the lake. A local resident and campaigner took the BBC's Chris Page out on the loch to show him how bad things are getting. This is completely new to me. Um, never, never seen the likes of it before, nor, nor has my family who have lived there. Um, you know, for generations before me. It was only a couple of weeks ago when I went out into a boat and the, the wake of the boat behind me in parts uh, was like a thick pea green soup and that just came as a, a real shock that this loch is in deep trouble. Weather is partly to blame along with an invasive species of mussel but pollution definitely plays a role too. Locals organised a wake for Loch Ness this week to highlight their concerns but Shoreline Environment Officer from the Loch Ness Partnership Peter Harper says the situation is complicated by local politics. The loch at the minute I would say is in a state of emergency and uh, we're, in a, we're in a state of emergency in a way too in Northern Ireland because we don't have a government, we don't have a, an environment minister, we don't have anyone on the loch to come out and see what's happening.
Nuclear weapons testing is largely a thing of the past now with a nuclear test ban treaty signed by the US, the UK and the then Soviet Union back in 1963. But before that, the UK had a pretty active nuclear weapons testing programme, regularly exploding devices in Australia and the South Pacific in the 50s and early 60s. Up to 22,000 personnel were involved in the tests and exposed to radiation. But the Ministry of Defence has always said large studies found no link between the tests and ill health. Now, the discovery of new documents has led to a potential new court case and campaigner Eric Barton is disappointed that it's taken so long to get to this point. The British government turn around to you and say, you prove it, you know, and how can you prove it? You can't. We're finding documents that are proving that the government have been lying. Well, maybe not the government, the MOD have been lying to us for years and years and years, and they're covering everything up and have been doing for years and years. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Dog.